Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. We're starting a brand new series today called No Offense. And I can't stand cats. I'm just trying to get you offended real quick so I can, so I can actually, so I can preach you. Like a pre- I, don't like, I don't like the New York Giants either. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I don't like the Philadelphia. I'm trying to do anything possible to get you riled up. Oh, the Gators. Oh, I was so happy they lost to Utah the other night. Does that bother you? Does that bother you? I'm trying to just get people frustrated. No, seriously. Uh, <laughs> offense is a, it, it can be very petty. Uh, it can be something like that where just, you're just almost looking for reasons to be upset. And I think there's a whole gamut of reasons why we get offended. Uh, but I also think there are a lot of reasons why we offend people. So in this, I don't even know how long this is. I, I was this morning, is it two weeks? Okay, I was about to call Martine this morning. I'm like, how long is it? I, I planned, I thought it was two weeks. So I kind of want to talk about both. I want to talk a little bit about why we get offended. Uh, when, when people saw that I was preaching on this, I had people that were like, you know, other pastors and stuff that are like, oh, I preached on this and, and you should, you know, check out what I did. And like, my thought is like, I don't, a lot of times when pastors preach on offense, they're trying to cover their own rear end. And what I mean by it is this, they're trying to make sure that their congregation learns not to be offended at them. But what they rarely consider is how that they might be a stumbling block to many other people. And sometimes we are the ones, and the point is, nobody wants to preach about the fact that we can be the stumbling block. Nobody wants to talk about, as Christians, a lot of times we do things that are insensitive and we hurt people. So I wanna do both. I wanna make sure that we understand that in this next two weeks, that there are a lot of reasons why people are offended. I think some of them are genuine, genuine, genuinely, Yeah, I, I, I do speak English. There, there are people that are genuinely hurt and truly uh, come from an innocent place. But I think what happens is that people that get hurt and refuse to address the reasons why they stayed hurt are no longer just wounded. They develop a wounded spirit, which becomes a negative, critical spirit. And then people that develop negative critical spirits end up becoming the Bible's definition of a fool. Uh, And what happens is when you're around a fool, now you say, well, the Bible says call no man a fool. No, actually what it, what it really says is just be careful if you're going to call someone a fool, that you don't improperly label someone a fool. Someone that continues to show the same negative behavior time and time again, and it's just hopeless. You're constantly trying to bring biblical truth to them. You're constantly trying to show them a better way. You're constantly trying to show them how to resolve things, how to have a better attitude, how to work it out. And just time and time again, you're shut down. They've literally defined themselves as the the biblical definition of a fool. And you actually shouldn't waste your time with people. You say, well, I'm married to one, but just continue moving on in your life. (laughs) Continue moving on in your life. Seriously, I'm not even joking. Continue moving on in your life fulfilling what God has called you to do and do the best you can with the person that you're with. Uh, you, you, you can't control the person that you're with. You can't control your family members. You can't make them see things God's way, but you can live things God's way in your own life. And you can have patience and kindness and bring them along as slowly as you can in those particular areas, but do not let it hinder you from being who God has called you to be. Your destiny is not dependent on other people. 
It really isn't. There is cooperation that is necessary to accomplish certain things in the kingdom through partnerships, but your personal destiny is not wrapped up in someone else's attitude problem. Your personal destiny is not... If that was so, it would mean everything that God has called me to do depends on whether or not the people I'm around have a good attitude. And I can't change the attitudes of the people that I'm around all the time. I can't. I can affect those things by having the best possible attitude I can, but I can't change the attitudes. You kind of deal with what you're dealing with. So I want to start this from a little bit of a different direction. And by the way, my computer exploded today. Like it it just literally, I don't even have normal notes here. yeah, there's a couple things that happened that were, that were crazy. But my, my computer is done, so these are not like my normal notes. So I, I'm just going to I'm gonna do this a little bit of a different way. I don't have all the typical points that I have. But uh, I'm going to pray, start out, and then we'll just get it to it. Father, bless this message. Help me to deliver this in a way that uh, connects with people. We believe in the power of your word, the supernatural power of your word. So let this come alive today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, now I wanna start off by reminding you that most of what the Bible really has to say about offense is is in the subject of Christianity. It's the way Christians deal with other Christians. There are ways that we deal with people that are not Christians that have to do with kindness and forgiveness and showing God's love, but it's not the same standards as the way we are supposed to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. Somebody say, I have family. Come on, somebody say, I have family in Christ. So, so, so quit, quit repeating me, because I know that sometimes you'll, you'll just keep doing it and it'll be awkward. Uh, but if you have family in Christ, uh, that means that you're supposed to treat them like brothers and sisters, and there's different protocol for family, right? There's different protocols for family. So I would like you to know that a lot of what I'm gonna be talking about is dealing with protocols, dealing with Christians. Okay, so before we do that, the thing that we have in common as Christians is that we have been set free from our old life. If that were not the case, why are we here? What do we even have to look forward to or to celebrate if we're still stuck in the same mistakes as our old life? So I wanna start out by 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. It says, now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. Somebody say fresh start. Don't you love a fresh start? I love a fresh start. I mean, I'm, I, I grew up playing video games. So in video games, I would just, you know, whether it's Mario or whatever game I was playing, I would play it and then I would die in a certain place. I would just start over. And then when you start over, oh, it's brand new. I'm not going to hit the same thing that I hit before. I'm going to jump over it this time. And you figure out and you learn by a fresh start how not to repeat the same mistakes. But that's what we've been given in Christ. It says a fresh start created new. Somebody say I'm new. The old life is gone. Somebody say gone. Gone. That means the way that you dealt with jerks in the past doesn't apply anymore. The way you dealt with people that did you wrong, it no longer applies because you have a new life in Christ. Somebody say out loud, I'm different. I think that's the problem. Most of the problem with how we get offended and offend people is we forget that we don't operate under the same rules that we used to. And we shouldn't operate under the same rules. But we slip back into the same patterns and we act no different than the world does. But the old life is gone. It said a new life emerges. 
Look at it. All this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called, oh, this is huge, then called us, somebody say called us. Anybody remember, is there anyone that was alive like during the 70s and 80s where you were actually allowed to play outside? Remember that where you could actually go outside and play? Right, yeah, like if, if my daughter came and said, I'm gonna go outside for a little bit to me, I'd go, why? Where? With who? Where are you going? No, no, you're not going anywhere. Like, it's just so strange. I mean, like we used to leave, you know, after school and run off. And I mean, it just, you just wouldn't even come home till, like, till it was dark, till it was dinner time. And then sometimes if you were out too late, you know, they'd, out the backyard, they'd say, Jeffrey, and they call, they call, they call, call your name, right? Isn't that what happened? They call your name. That's what God is doing to us. He's calling us to what? It says that after he settled, he, that, that he, all this comes from God who settled the relationships between us and him and then called us, Jeffrey, to settle our relationships with each other. It's a calling. Someone say, I'm called. I'm called. Through my wholeness. Yeah, you are to repeat this part. Say, I am called. I am called. Through my wholeness. <laughs> to settle relationships. We leave junk between us. I mean, the Bible says don't even let the sun go down on your wrath. It's so, I mean, wh who, how, the, how what? I mean, you, it, it says it. Like, what? There is no, it's not like, well, what version is it? It's the version for people that can read. <laughs> it means if you have a problem with someone, do not let the sun go down without getting it out of the way. Period. There are no exceptions. None. What does it mean? It means that whoever has to say it, it doesn't matter. Say, I'm so sorry about what happened. Shouldn't have let it happen. I don't care if it's your bro that you had an argument with and you went home that night and you were playing tennis and someone disagreed about it was out and it was in. Whatever. The Bible says, don't let it happen. Stop overcomplicating things and stop acting so deep that you're like, well, we didn't do a Greek study on that. Well, you don't have to. It's just so plain. But God called us to settle our relationships with each other. And it says he's given us the task. I'm sorry about the repeating, but say the task. It's a task. He's given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We are Christ's representatives. I mean, can you imagine if from City of Life, if we're sending people out as representatives of City of Life to stand for what our church stands for, we want to train those people to represent Christ in the way that we believe it. So we're supposed to be uh, examples of God's love. So we teach them, this is how you interact with people. This is how you share the gospel. If you're a representative of City of Life, then I want people to represent what Jesus is supposed to represent in us. So in the same way, imagine when Jesus is training you and empowering you to be his personal representative. You're like, what does this have to do with offense? I'm trying to teach us the way we're supposed to live. Because when we get offended, we get so far off mission, we can never do these things. We're too busy mad at everybody. He didn't compliment my shoes, but he complimented his. It's like, this is like, I'm not even joking. These are things that happen. 
I was shaking hands at the back door the other day, and I, I don't get to go out there all the time. The last couple months, my son has been sick, and I've been kind of in the back, reintegrating, going out and shaking hands. I love to shake hands with people at the back. I love talking to people, getting a chance to see my church face-to-face and just say hello. It's just a, a moment. And a lady came up to me, and she was like, I need to talk to you about 10 things. I mean, I've got like, I mean, there, you got, there's a lot of you. It's like you're coming in. I, I said, well, ma'am, I said, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm, got, got, I'm shaking. Hey, how you? God bless you. I said, I'm, I'm talking to all these people right now. I said, I can't really talk in between service. She goes, oh, really? I said, yes, really. I said, I got to talk to these people. I want to see my church. Excuse me. I said, after I'm done, I'll be happy to talk. She's like, well, I never. I mean, she walked off and she sent me this long email. And she's like, I've never been to your church before. And I'll never come back to your church because you would. Okay, well, hold on for a second. I mean, I understand where she's coming from. She might have something that is very important to her. But to her, whatever was important to her as someone who doesn't attend my church is more important than me as the pastor, as the shepherd of the church, spending time saying hello to my people. So what happened is rather than trying to make some space for where I was coming from, and I did tell her, by the way, I don't have time during the middle because typically I'm going back, getting ready for the next service, praying, having meetings, all kind of stuff. But I did tell her that I would talk to her, but she didn't want to talk to me. She wanted to go and kind of get upset. So what happened is she let a moment of offense by something. I didn't even mean anything by it. She let a moment of offense really get. She said, I will never come back to that church. I'll never drive on that property. I will never. It's like, wow, you just kind of took it to a completely different level. But do you see? how tiny things can cause offense. Tiny little things can cause offense. And what it does is it keeps us from living in the calling that we're supposed to live in. We gotta learn at some point to have some thick skin about stuff. Jesus says this. I'm not trying to give anything away, but I mean, somebody was telling me to read a book called Unoffendable. Unoffendable is the name of the book. Even though Jesus says it's impossible to not get offended. Apparently, they've discovered something Christ doesn't even know about because Jesus says it's impossible to not get offended. It says he says offenses are going to come. It actually what he really said was be careful that you're not the one causing them. So there's more of of an onus on yourself not to offend than not to be offended because we he knows he's saying that we're going to get offended and stuff. How we deal with it is the real kicker. I know I just you're like, well, teach me about offense. Teach me about offense. I really want to keep digging into this for a second. Because I think it's important to look at this mission. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. That literally means our heart and soul has to be so whole and so complete that we're not spending all of our time worrying about, how do I apologize? What should I do this time? How can I do this different this time? I've tried 40 things and it doesn't work. I mean, geez, just learn how to deal with the situations that are in your life in a workable way so you can actually be a blessing to someone else. That's what it says that we're called to do, is to make a difference in other people's lives by persuading them to drop their difference and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Somebody say, I speak for Christ. Then it says, become friends with God. He's already a friend to you. I think this is so important because when we come to Jesus, either we are completely whole or not. Okay, and and, and you say, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, either you come to Christ and you're completely whole. And if you're not completely whole, you really didn't come to Christ. 
There was some part of you that mentally ascended to a place or maybe raised your hand or sort of kind of believed something. But if you did not become completely whole, then you have not yet known the salvation that comes through Christ. Because when we come to Christ, we are made whole, mind, soul, body, and spirit. And I'm not saying it makes the past disappear, but we enter into the concept of redemption where God doesn't take away things that happen, but he redeems them. He makes them brand new. That's why he says, behold, all things are passed away. Old things are passed away and all things, somebody say all things, are made new. We are born and made to live whole in shalom, which is the peace of God. And that concept of shalom that Israel and Jews had was nothing missing, nothing broken, everything restored, everything beautiful. That's the way our heart is supposed to be. You're supposed to have shalom in your soul right now. Somebody close your eyes for a second and just take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. When you breathe in, now breathe out. And when you breathe out, breathe out all that negative junk that you've been keeping with you. That's supposed to be shalom is that moment where you just go, I'm just letting that go. I'm letting the peace of God rule in my heart. And some people never get to live there because they're too offended. They're living offended. Why should we worry about offense? Well, I think it's not something to worry about, but it's something that we should avoid at all costs because if we want to be used, it's our job to stay whole. We become, when we become spiritually wounded, we can't do the job that we were called or commissioned to do. Did you catch in that passage, it said, so God can use you. You know that in modern terms, Using someone is a negative thing. But, but God actually, that's his job is to use us. He can't use us if we're not operating at an optimal level. If we're unhealthy in our spirit or we're broken, it's not nothing missing, it's broken. It's, it's not nothing missing, nothing broken. It's something missing and something broken. And most of us, something is wrong. And we can't operate at our optimal level. I was thinking about this analogy. I never got around to it. But like if Jesus is the light and he has called us to go be a light and he gives us his light and our job now that he's called us is to spread that light and to continue spreading that light. And he has given us this light and that's our job to spread the light in this area. And he's put a light here, spread it in this area, put a light, spread it in this area. And we're just spreading the light. Imagine what he sees is when he sees this light over here flickering all the time. Or going out. Uh, imagine when you're trying to look at all the growth and all the new air. Oh, look at that. That's sprouting up over there. His light has spread. His light has. But this area is completely dark. Why? Because the light that he has put in you. And now what does he have to do? Instead of continuing to spread the light in all these other areas, he's coming over here. I got I to gotta put another battery in this joker. This thing's drained. It's drained. I put so much energy into this thing over and over and over again. I mean, that's why we got to be careful. You're saying, well, are you saying that the grace of God, there's a limit to it? I do know that when the Bible talks about fruitfulness, it talks about someone who is tending a garden. And he basically says that sometimes in certain ways, God will give people an opportunity to show fruitfulness. And if they do not show fruitfulness, there is a story about that tree being cut down. 
And you say, well, what does that mean? It does, I don't think it means you lose your salvation, but I, I think that there is a limit when we as Christians have refused to grow up. We have refused to get over petty, childish things. And we have refused to fulfill our job. It is your job to spread the light. It is your job, your responsibility, your calling to heal others. How can you be a representative of Christ if you have been wounded by refusing to operate by the protocols that God has put in front of you? When Jesus said in Luke 1, hard trials and temptations or offenses, as it says in the New King James, are bound to come, but too bad for whoever brings them on. Better to wear a concrete vest and take a swim with the fishes than give even one of these dear little ones a hard time. Now that phrase he's talking about, offense, is the Greek word scandalon. And, and I grew up hearing this a, a lot. It's, it's a great message on scandalons, where we get the word scandal from. And basically what it's saying is it's a trap or a bait that we take the bait, that there are people who troll us or gaslight us or whatever. They, they'll say things to us that they know are frustrating to us or actually they don't even really care. They fail to consider something about us and they set something off in us and we get a scandal on, an offense in our heart at something they have said. Now, here's the really important thing for us to know. I think when dealing with the subject of offense, we get so caught up on who is right and who is wrong that we won't let go of something and we forget about the possibility that maybe two people are wrong in God's eyes. The person who said it is wrong. They're going to have to deal with a judgment from God about what they said unless they repent and are sorry of it. And the way you received what they said is wrong. Because your refusal to forgive and your refusal to let go and to move forward was inappropriate as well. So we think in our mind, just simply because they initiated, that the blame is on them, and until they make restitution or figure it out, that we're just gonna wait in this wounded state until it's over with. And we think that we're right because they started it. And the truth of the matter is, many times, both are completely missing the mark. And someone has allowed themselves to become, to fall. Look at someone next to you and say, don't take the bait. I mean, I'm just going to tell you right now, if I'm walking through the woods and I come up on a little tiny, and there ain't no one around, and I come up on a little tiny table and it's got Oreos on it, <laughs> double stuff, just in the middle of nowhere. Let me tell you something, Doc. I don't care how hungry I am. I ain't sitting down. Somebody's going to kill me. If that, if that, I mean, that, like, that's, that's a trap. Someone said that they know something about me. They know something about me. I've seen too many scary movies. Someone's trying to take me out if, they, if, they, if, they, if that happens to me. Okay, that, look at someone next to you and say, don't take the bait. You, you, you can't take the bait. And, and I think that, that offense is like bait. It's like a stumbling block, and the enemy will use people to try to bait you into offense. And once you get, by the way, I'm going to say something I said 10 years ago. It's true. Offense is a fence. It actually fences you in to a way of thinking in your life. When you get offended, what happens is you get so caught up in your barrier of rightness. Not just rightness, 
But moral superiority. There is absolutely no way to be offended at someone and not feel morally superior to them. If you are offended, you feel like they have done something wrong and you have not done anything wrong. So what does that mean? It means you are here and they are there. So the moral superiority is the problem with offense when we take the bait. And it's scary because Jesus warns us these things are coming. Can I just tell you something? I think before you go anywhere. You should probably say to yourself, I'm going to have a million reasons to be offended wherever it is that I'm going. I'm going to have reasons to be offended at church. I'm going to have reasons to be offended at the mall. I'm going to have reasons to be offended uh, in my own home. I'm going to have reasons to be offended when I'm out golfing with my friends. Like wherever you go, you kind of got to make a decision in your life. Am I whole or not? Has God really healed me from my past? Nothing missing, nothing broken. And am I going to remember what Christ said, that these things are going to come, but I just want to make sure that I handle them correctly. Now, I want to point something out to you. In this passage where he tells how important it is not to offend people, he goes on and he says, if you see your friend going wrong, correct him. If he responds, forgive him. That, that means that he's done something wrong to you, right? So I think this is a big problem in, in the church even though we teach this regularly at City of Life. We teach uh, biblical conflict re resolution on a regular basis, that the Bible tells us that if you have a problem with someone, if someone does something for you, towards you, or you even remember that someone thinks you've done something toward them, confront them personally, one-on-one. -on -one. Somebody say one-on-one. -on -one. It literally means go to this person. Do not go on social media and put like some poem Okay, about hurt or something like that. And then, you know, like use like synonyms for that person's name or something. It's like, don't, don't do something like that. Don't start putting sad songs about I thought you were my friend. Like, that, do not do stuff like that. It, it actually says go where? Oh, wow. Say that one more time. Go where? Yeah, to the person. It's really not that hard. It is at first when you get freaked out by it. But I mean, just this week, someone told me a story about something that took place in our church where someone said something, they went to them and talked to them about it, and the person was like, I am so sorry I did say that. I was feeling this way. And, and the person says, I am so sorry that you were feeling that way. I, I feel bad that you were feeling that way. And they're crying, and I just don't want ever, anything like that to ever happen. And it, the, Bible, the Bible literally says if you confront your brother like this, you've actually gained your brother. Yeah. You've, you've lost a brother, but if you do this right, you've gained that person back. Isn't that beautiful? It's wonderful. So that's really what we're supposed to do. So Jesus tells us, if you see someone going wrong, correct him. If he responds, forgive him. Even if it's personal against you, oh, oh yo, you're, you're going to be like, well, I need multiple translations on this one. Uh, because this is not a fun one right here. Uh, it's, it says, even if it's personal against you and repeated seven times through the day. And seven times he says, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Seven times. Seven times. I mean, my poor little sweet daughter, Zoe, we were at Disney the other day and she kicked me in the back of the foot while we were walking. She kicked my shoe. My shoe kind of came off. That ever happened to you before? Someone accidentally kicks your shoe? And she goes, oh. 
and I think I kind of looked at her and she was like, sorry, sorry. I said, oh, but no problem, babe. And like we're walking again. And then she did it again. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> she did it again. And, and, and I was like, whoa, whoa, okay. <laughs> did it again. <laughs> you, know, <try> to be <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you're trying, it's like wow, that happened twice. And, and then she, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Now, it never happened a third time. But I have a feeling that two is the, that for whatever reason, the number two is the number that just pops into my head as like the one that I can still kind of laugh at. Three is a plan. I don't want to get into what the rest of them are, but, but my point is Jesus gives us an absurd number to show how absurd grace really is. By the way, if you haven't figured this out about forgiveness, for, forgiving others is simply a way for us to even remotely grasp what forgiveness is supposed to look like to us, our, the forgiveness God has given us on a daily basis. The requirement that we have to forgive others after continual offenses over and over and over again. It's supposed to be an analogy of how much God forgives us. And it's supposed to humble our heart, not harden our heart. This is so good. Let's keep going here. The apostles came up and this is all connected and said, master. Now, I love this. I love this. Because they're listening to what to Jesus standards about forgiveness, because he knows that offenses and problems are so we're so vulnerable to offenses. Actually, he just said it. He said, you're going to get offended. Then he says, by the way, when you get offended, here's how to here's how to deal with it. Talk to the person. And if they do it again, forgive them. If they do it again, forgive them. If they do it again, forgive him. If they do it again, forgive him. And, 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 and you, what, what is the first thing that they say to him? They go, Master, give us more faith. <laughs> I mean, we can relate, right? We're like, I don't possess this kind of faith. Now, I feel like this is really important. How am I going to teach this in two weeks? This is crazy because there's so, many, so much good stuff here. But, but he says, give us more faith. Here's what he says. He says, you don't need more faith. Okay, please do me a favor. Look at the person that's sitting next to you and say, you don't need more faith. That actually is going to really confuse some people. Someone probably got offended at that. I'll just be honest with you. You don't need more faith. I love this version in the message. It's so good. He says, there is no more or less in faith. Somebody say, there is no more. Or less in faith. So what it means is there's, not, there's no such thing as more faith. You say, well, Jesus said of the woman that was dealing with the issue of blood, I've never have I seen such great faith. That's a measure of faith. Made an inaccurate statement. Hold on, hold on. It, it, the, the statement doesn't stand alone. It, it's accompanied by something else. So, so, so what he says here is he says, there is no more or less faith. In matters of faith, if you have a bare kernel of faith, 
poppy seed level faith. Mustard seed. Anybody ever got a mustard seed stuck in your teeth? You can't even get that thing out. It's so small. It's the tiniest little thing. That's all. It's the smallest little seed. He says, if you have that much faith, you can say to a mountain, be removed, and it'll be cast into the sea. So what he's saying is if you possess any faith at all, it's enough to do anything that you need. Okay? So I think that is really important to remember because I think there's something that accompanies this that is all related. It's all connected. The subject of offense, the subject of being made whole, the subject of faith, the subject of not getting the things you need in life and figuring out why. They're interconnected. I'm going to give you a different story. This is a good one, too. Mark 9. It says, one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. But I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Okay, so somebody brings Jesus, a demon-possessed child who is the, the spirit has been causing him to thrash. He can't talk, and he's been doing it for a long time. They bring him to the disciples. The disciples are like, I can't help this guy. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. So the guy's desperate, brings him to Jesus. What does he say? <laughs> Ironically, he says, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? So he's frustrated that there's a spiritual issue going on. He says, how long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. They brought it to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And this is interesting because he asks his father, instead of just getting right to the thing, he asks his father, how long has he been like this? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both in the fire and in the water to destroy him. But if, somebody say if. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. So I have the mustard seed faith. But something has been preventing me from seeing the miraculous in my life. So I've got the faith, but he says, Lord, help me with my unbelief. So what we're realizing now is to add to the story of Jesus saying there is no more or less faith. There's only faith. But the difference in people that end up moving heaven with their prayers and God moving in their life is something is present and coexists with faith that will cancel faith out. What is it? It's unbelief. Because he says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. The spirit cried out, convulsed greatly, came out of him and he became as dead so that many said he is dead. He took him by the hand, lift him up and he arose. Now listen, let's keep going. So A, we see that the father didn't see a miracle in his house because he had a spirit of unbelief attached to his life. It was accompanying whatever faith he had, but he had unbelief going on. Now, he starts talking to his disciples and they say, why could we not cast it out? And he said, this kind can only come out by prayer and 
fasting. Interesting. Why? Why? Why was Jesus able to do what the disciples could not do? Because the disciples had faith, amen? Jesus had faith, amen? But what did the disciples have that Jesus didn't have? Or what did Jesus have the disciples didn't have? And I'll say this. Jesus, the disciples had something that Jesus did not have. Don't get offended. What was that? Unbelief. So the disciples had unbelief because prayer and fasting and a disciplined Christian life are the only thing, including nursing spiritual wounds, taking brokenness to God, taking hurt to God, staying in the presence of God, pushing out unbelief. What happens? Offenses turn into beliefs. Belief systems, which are counterintuitive to what the Bible teaches. And what is that? That's unbelief. Masquerading as hurt. So the reason why this man was able to see a miracle is because Jesus addressed his unbelief, then clearly taught the disciples the only way to stay free enough from unbelief is to regularly pray and fast and be in the presence of God. And I believe that the only way to stay free from bitterness and hurt and offense in your life is to stay before the face of God, to stay in the presence of God, actively worshiping, actively seeking, actively waking up in the morning, saying, today I will lift my voice to the Lord. I will make a joyful noise. I will wake up celebrating God. You say, well, it takes me till 10 o'clock to get uh, smiling at people. Well, wake up at five. So you've got some time alone to get used to it. So by the time you see a human being, you're ready to interact with someone. There are no excuses in the kingdom. We will stand before God someday and we personally will be responsible for the way we behaved in our lifetime regardless of who hurt us regardless of why it happened regardless of who is right or wrong we will stand before the king of kings and the lord of lords and be and i'm gonna tell you something our excuses are gonna look really ridiculous to him they will melt away in his glory and in his presence now when I say this stuff is all interconnected, man, it is wild. You need to read Mark chapter nine from 17 all the way down to 37 because it goes on when he says only by prayer and fasting, it says from there that they departed, went by Galilee. He was about to die. He, I mean, he was about to be killed. And literally just two scriptures later, it says he was in the house and he said, what, what were you guys talking about on the road? And they were so humiliated, so embarrassed because he heard, I love that, you know, that he hears them talking about something but doesn't ask them about it. It's the stupidest conversation. You must feel like a complete moron because literally, you know what they're talking about? They're walking around going, I'm the greatest among all of us. And then the other one's going, no, you're not, I am. And the other one said, how can you be the greatest? He found me first. And they're just having this argument. And Jesus is like listening to this and just thinking about it. They didn't even want to, it says they kept silent. And he sat down and called the 12 and said, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And we had, when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives not me 
sorry, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, by the way, this is really important to know that anytime the Bible is talking about little children, children, this sounds crazy, but in that culture, not in the Jewish faith, but in that particular world that they lived in, children were considered like subhuman. They did not have the honor and the dignity and the rights. Women were the same kind of way. Their testimonies were not accepted in court. They were not considered to be of value. Only men in those cultures had that kind of value. As a matter of fact, I was recently studying some stuff by N.T. Wright, which was saying that even children at that time, they called children it. They didn't even refer to them as a person. They called them an it, almost like on the level of an animal. So when Jesus takes this child and uses this little child as an example, by the way, in Matthew 18, same story, but a different take. Jesus, when they're talking about the greatest of the kingdom of heaven, in verse two of Matthew 18, he placed the child in front of him and says, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. And he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Do you see how all of these things here are connected, that they kind of keep coming back to each other? And here's one thing I want to leave you with. It's to remember that when we come to Christ, we're made whole. We have to come Christ humble and as a child. We also have to remember that we have a responsibility to, to regard other people that are new in their faith as innocent, ch childlike people that we're constantly having to watch the way we're saying things. We constantly gotta be careful that we're not hurting people's feelings. And if we are, we're doing our very best to address it or being our, our best to be kind about it and to make restitution. But we also have a responsibility at some point, Paul does talk about that we come to Christ, we're like children, but there comes a point where we're no longer on milk any longer, right? We gotta grow up and it's time to have a hamburger. It's like you get to a point where you gotta, you gotta just grow up. And so I think that's important when it comes to the subject of offense is to learn the things that maybe hurt you years ago, if they're still hurting you, you may not be mature. You may be stuck in a growth stage that you need to get out of. So I would really encourage you, I hope this is set up this week, uh, kind of the idea that of what offenses are, where they come from, that we have a responsibility and a calling that is much higher than allowing ourselves to be hurt by everything. I also hope that it has maybe opened up the opportunity for you to realize that maybe you've said some hurtful things or done some hurtful things toward other people that you need to be accountable for. Uh, that you need to say, I'm sorry for. I think it's really important to, to, to make sure that when you walk into a meeting, by the way, the protocol in the Bible is to go to that person personally. And it says if they, if they don't listen to you, you go to round two. And it says you take two or three people with you. Now this is the part that many people don't do because if you choose the right two or three people, they won't necessarily be on your side. That means neutral mature arbitrators that if you're the one that asked it, hey, I confronted Bill, he didn't forgive me. Well, you take him back with these other people and now you're talking to Bill and they look at you and go, 
Yeah, it's actually not Bill's fault, it's your fault. And you go, oh, sorry, Bill. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you got, you've got to be willing to accept that kind of correction. So to, to be aware that maybe we're the ones that have been offended, maybe the, we're the ones that have done the offending. To just look at the whole concept of scandal on, it's a stumbling block, it's like bait. Sometimes we're the one that sets the trap. Sometimes we're the one that takes the bait. There's a biblical precedent that Jesus set. He made a connection between offense and forgiving people and faith and unbelief that sometimes unbelief can spoil the faith that we do have. It's not a faith problem. If you're not seeing results in your life, maybe it's because you've let some belief systems sneak in that are not real and they're not true. They're just simply not true. You say, well, how do I do what's true? Just do what the Bible says. You know, go, go with grace every single time. Go overboard with grace. You can never fail. Be willing to admit you're wrong. Be willing to admit that you're the one that messed up. Going into the meeting, going into the conversation, be willing to be the one to say, I'm sorry first. Always err on the side of grace and you'll always come out of the situation with God's favor on your life. If you're constantly trying to defend yourself, it's just, it's not gonna work long-term. So I, I'm, next week, I'm gonna get into some real details on how to apologize, uh, on how to get over personal hurts, and also how to apologize when you've hurt someone else. So I wanna deal with both sides of offense from the one that is offended and the one that has done the offending next week. So I pray that you come back. I'm gonna give you a lot more information next week, but I think this two-part series is gonna be really, really great on offense. Let's leave here today healed. Uh, bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I just wanna pray a, a pre-salvation prayer. This is for anyone here today that feels hurt, that maybe you've been hurt by something that you've been through, unable to let it go. And I'll just say this right now, with no one looking around, I just am, am, am gonna ask you in a second to lift your hand. And if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I'm never lifting my hand like this, I don't want anyone to know. Well, I'll just tell you this right now, you're already letting people know that you're hurt by the way that you've been living. And we let people know all the time. So if we're letting people know by being negative or being defensive all the time or living in such a state of hurt, then why wouldn't we also just say, well, I, I don't wanna live that way anymore. I wanna lift my hand because I believe sometimes an action of faith, sometimes something as small as lifting our hand can be the chain breaker in our life. So if we've been hurt by things and we don't wanna live that way any longer, I'm just praying today is a day of miracles in Jesus' name. So right now, no one's looking around. I'm asking my team not even to look around. I don't want no numbers. I don't want to tell me how many people lift their hand. Don't look at all. Put your head down because I want this to be a moment where people are able to have complete discretion with the Lord. If that's you today and you've got some hurt in your life, would you just lift your hand really quick? I wanna pray for you all over the building. That's just most of the room right there. So in Jesus' name right now, every person, every hand that is lifted, I pray right now for these hands that are lifted that the power of the Holy Spirit would heal broken hearts right now. There are people with their hands lifted that have been hurt personally. There are people with their hands lifted that have done the hurting. I pray in Jesus' name you would prepare us in this series to receive your healing and complete restoration in our life that we could walk into next week with a fresh new start to know how to deal with things effectively and to never take the bait again. I thank you for this today. 
in Jesus' name. And also with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life today, no one looking around the room, if you're watching online, I'm just gonna ask people right now to lift their hands. If you need Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, hands are going up all over the room. I believe people are lifting their hands online. If you're online lifting your hand, please type in the chat, I need Jesus in my life. I would ask you to lift your hand right up over your head if you're watching online. I believe there's power in that today. And could we pray this prayer together out loud? It's a prayer of salvation. Say, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life, walking into a brand new life with you. I will never be the same. You have changed me from the inside out. You took my sin to the cross and I now have your righteousness with me every day of my life because you rose from the grave. Thank you for that new life. Let me live free, completely whole from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody give God a great praise today. So many people lifted their hands. Bless you. Join me next week for part two. No offense. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.